Welcome to How Not to Travel, a podcast about seeing the world differently. It's been a minute since we posted, and that's because travel has changed so, so much since this pandemic started. So for the next few weeks, we're going to break down how not to travel, COVID edition. This week, post-COVID travel industry. Or can I even say post-COVID? Cause like we're still in it and probably deeper than when we started. Anyway, never mind. I was strutting around Milan, okay? The fashion capital of the world. A place I imagined to be bustling with life and coffee and duh, fashion. And instead, I got pigeons, hella pigeons, on empty streets, shop after shop of closed doors, and the occasional open restaurant with an Italian man yelling, welcome, we have Corona, the beer, not the virus. It was the end of February and no tourist sites were open. So my best friend and I took it upon ourselves to give ourselves a food tour since no one else was doing it, AKA an excuse to drink lots of wine and eat lots of pasta. We had no idea that the week after we left, Italy would go into complete lockdown and get slammed with COVID-19 deaths. Let me ask you something. When you hear this story, whose perspective do you care more about? Mine, aimlessly walking around? Or do you think about the small business owner who was trying his hardest to flag down one of the remaining tourists left in Italy? What is his perspective? In this episode, we dive into the forgotten perspectives those who have jobs in tourism. At the height of the pandemic, 95% of hotels closed in Italy. And since June, only 40% have reopened with less occupancy, even though tourism makes up 15% of jobs in Italy. So I talked to Mitra, a tour guide based in Rome, one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world, about how her life has been impacted by COVID-19. So I shut down my agency. Then we had an apartment in the center near the Coliseum, which has been in my husband's family for four generations, if you include our kids. And we've had to sell it. It was sold last week for less than what we bought it for. But if we don't sell it now, because we will both end up claiming zero income this year, but we also have no bookings. We also have 100% cancellations until 2021 on that place as well. I imagine that's the case for all of Rome and probably all of Italy. And if I'm a bit real, it happened to me for all of my Cuba trips. There was a statistic that came out in July that Rome normally has 300,000 arrivals at the airport daily in the summer. It's 1,000 right now, 1,000. So it's not even 1%. And you can tell because you walk through the city. If I walk to the Trevi Fountain at 10 a.m., normally it would be so packed I can't see the pavement. The last few times I've been there, it's been me and the the police guards, and that's it. I asked Mitra how it makes her feel about her profession. I love being a custodian of Rome's history. It has been the greatest honor of my life to be her gatekeeper. I left a corporate career to talk about the history of Rome, and I love her. I really do love her. 
I always say she has a soul, right? Rome was a city that every man in history wanted to conquer. They have all fought for her. They're not fighting about her anymore. So she's abandoned, she's neglected. So, and in this historical center, two out of 10 businesses are open. That's it. The rest are closed. There's no point in having a gelato shop in every corner when there's no people. And the offices are not open either. People are working from home. So the periphery is more happening in Rome right now because everyone's home, unemployed. But even in the periphery, I would say about six out of 10 businesses are open because there is a mass death among small to medium-sized business owners that didn't get anything. And so I think, and then it's going to put me in a position as a tour guide, I would have to shut down my freelancing license because even if I have zero income this year, the Italian state is asking me for 6,000 euros for pension and other tax anyway just for like social service payments. It's not sustainable. We have no, we were not getting any income. Like we are all living off of our savings. That's all we were doing. And I try not to think about it too much right now because I'm trying to give my two girls. I mean, I have a 15 month old baby and a six and a half year old. So I try to give them just a good summer. My six and a half year old is obviously super happy because mom is giving her a whole summer. So I'm trying to focus very positively on like, look what an amazing summer we're having. But it's constantly in the back of my head that what happens in the fall and what happens next year? Because I don't foresee whatsoever that season will start in March like it normally does. We still have the majority of our clientele are all locked into their countries or they are going to be sanctioned with severe restrictions. This is the sad reality of one of Europe's favorite destinations. And while we're sad about not being able to go, this is the reality of the tour guys not being able to accept you. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of those who've made it their profession to accept tourists, less about the perspective of tourists themselves. But what happens when you live on an island? You know, not attached to anything. And at the mercy of hurricane season. Let's fly over to the Bahamas where I talked to Natasia, an operational manager at a resort where she works with her family. The Bahamas is a place that we call about sun, sand, and sea. Our waters are so beautifully clear that you can literally drop your ring into the ocean and you can see six feet down. Your toes and everything, seeing them in the sand is like a piece of cake. Um, it's breezy right now. And you know, that's, that's usually how it is in the Bahamas. We have beautiful sea breeze. You can hear the gully just going crazy around me. And this is basically how it is. You hear the birds, you hear the ocean, you have the pink sand between your toes. Yes, I did say pink, that was not a mishaps. There is pink sand in the Bahamas. There is swimming pigs in the Bahamas. We're just like one of the most amazing countries on earth, personal opinion. But what does the Bahamas look like right now? I'm at our resort right now and I'm just looking at the water that's still here, the pool that's full of branches, the trees that are broken down and hoping and praying that there's not another storm to come after this because it's just, it's a lot to handle to have hurricane COVID and then another hurricane right behind it. What I am most afraid about in this moment is the impact like six months from now when people's savings is depleted, when people have been out of work, it, people have already been out of work for three to four months, when that becomes like closer to a year, I'm afraid of if that's gonna cause people to 
to do things that they wouldn't normally do just to get by. You know, that person that was right above the poverty line. So while many people are only worried about COVID-19 right now, there are people in tourism not only worried about COVID, but more pressing about their jobs, hunger, and natural disaster on top of all of that. I asked Natasha if her government was helping those in the tourism industry, because I know mine didn't help me at all. Okay, so picture this, March 31st, 2020. And your prime minister tells you that, you know what, we've got our cases here, COVID-19. And you, you see all of these emails, but they're not booking confirmations. They are refund requests among refund requests upon refund requests. And then April, you have nobody coming in. May, you have nobody coming in. And June, you have nobody coming in. Why? Because the borders are closed. And if you know anything about the Bahamas, the Bahamas is 70%-ish. GDP dependent on tourism. So when tourism stops, basically the entire economy stops. And we were just a part of that. You know, our team, we were able to assist them, you know, financially, which is something that many other hotels and many other tour operators weren't able to do. So we're grateful and we're blessed to be able to have done that. But there are so many people suffering in the Bahamas now. You know, when you have the mother of an infant who works at a hotel and the father that works at another hotel and they're both out of a job, it's like, do you buy chicken to eat or do you buy Inframil for your child? That's literally where we're at in the country right now. Elsewhere in the world, on an island far, far away, we have Alilai, an indigenous Palawan tour operator for a kayak company in Micronesia. So when you first arrive, it's going to be completely dark. You're not going to see anything here. So you're going to just get off the plane and immediately feel insane humidity because we are right in the middle of the ocean, um, right on the equator. The humid touches your body. And most people say it's like kind of hard to breathe when they first get here with that amount. After that, you'll take a drive. Our airport is in Airai, which is on the biggest island of Palau. Bob. It's the second largest island in Micronesia. It's really, really beautiful. You immediately get the smell of wet soil. You'll get hints of fragrances from flowers, all different types. And you can smell this just with your windows up still driving through. You'll get settled into your hotel and then you wake up and you're in paradise, really. <laughs> You'll see sunshine. It's almost always blue skies, picturesque clouds, extremely blue, blue skies. You'll hear, like you hear now, you'll hear roosters all day long, dogs barking in the background, some cars. So for those of you who don't know island life, I asked Alilai to describe what it's like for Palauans on Palau in case you've never heard of Micronesia. So in Palau, we still practice two of our customs the most, and that's our first childbirth and our funeral. So when people are brought into this world and when they leave are the most important to us. So with those, we stopped doing, we really tried to tell people not to. Of course, there were some people that we did still. So any type of those gatherings, we tried to lessen. But no matter what, it's going to be hard. If Corona was to ever come here, it would be hard to contain, in my opinion, because the way that our lifestyle is, we share everything together when someone sits down, you share food, you guys eat together with your hands, with whatever you have, and any drinks, like, I mean, it's really hot here, so if you have only one bottle of water, people are going to share from that, so it's a lot of just little things like that. Did you know? 
that the islands of Micronesia are four of the last 12 places on Earth to not have reported a single case of coronavirus. I mean, as of the recording of this podcast, August 24, 2020. During that time, we sold out. Uh, there was no rubbing alcohol, no sanitizers. Um, soap was still available. Water was scarce. Not super scarce. We've been through worse droughts. But yeah, we were just trying to get through with all that. And unfortunately, corona didn't make its way in here. The next big scare came from when we were repatronizing our students. So with that, we have a strict quarantine rule that we still are using. I asked how she felt about not being able to work and was super surprised by her answer. So for me and the company I work with, I, I, this is bliss. Like it has been so relaxing. Um, I love work. I love to just work my heart out. And with this slow time, I've realized like, holy crap, like there's a lot of things I don't think about because I'm just working so much. So it's nice that we have time to farm our land here now. I'm with my grandma all the time, every day now. She lives with us, so um, I'm doing a... She's been asking me all since last year to do a biography with her. So now we're in the midst of filming and doing a biography of her life. And with my work, my boss really wants to keep us all around so that we're ready once the tourism is back. So we're still going out, doing photography, learning about the plants, learning about what's in our whole environment, everything around us. Um, and he does lectures regularly every week or every couple weeks to keep our skills sharp and our knowledge good on everything around us. And so for me right now is like playtime that is just incredible. Like it's, I love it. There's no corona here. The stress of that isn't in the back of our minds. Like we're worrying for others out there, but to not actually have it here is great. Just the small stress that it brings when we're trying to bring people in, I can't imagine what everyone else is going through outside of our borders. It's been a really good amount of time to learn, to re-ground and make a new, a new slate for something that's going to start again. Alila said she's been given a two-month stipend and is expecting another one in December. This is being administered via the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act established by the U.S. government in 2014 under the Obama administration. Can you believe it? They're getting more checks than regular Americans. Perspective and aid is everything, and I'm glad they're being supported. It's amazing how relaxed people can feel when they are also being financially supported. Am I right? Many people are taking this time to be creative if they do not have to work and especially if their countries haven't been slammed with COVID-19. So let's go to Zambia, a country that doesn't have a lot of aid and also has coronavirus. Zambia is a landlocked country in Africa, situated on a high plateau in South Central Africa, takes its name from the River Zambezi. In Zambia, we have about 19 national parks. Then on the colors of Zambia, on the flag, we have red color, which stands for the blood that was shed during the struggle for independence. Then black, which stands for the black people living in Zambia. Then we have green. Green stands for vegetation. Then we have orange. Orange stands for the minerals 
of Zambia. During the time COVID-19 started, a lot of businesses were closed down and a lot of people in Zambia lost their jobs. Tourism has been affected a lot here in Zambia, where we depend more on tourists who are coming in for vacations and holidays. It has been zero number from the time COVID started, people coming into Zambia. So the COVID-19 has affected my business in tourism and uh, I've not been receiving any tourists from any countries coming in. You are most welcome to Zambia when the right time comes and uh, I can't wait to show you around. When this is over, you are most welcome. Can't wait to see you. As you can see, the travel industry around the world has been shaken by this pandemic. I wanted to do this episode because when I scroll through my feed, there's a lot of online travel shaming going on right now and people demanding others to stay home. And I get it. People are scared because there's a deadly virus outside. But then I scroll through my WhatsApp and have so many messages from friends in the tourism industry suffering from this situation, asking for aid from all over the world. And the stories I'm hearing are devastating. From cowboys having to sell their horses, to scuba instructors selling off their gear, to entire islands being sold and kicking off their laborers with nowhere to go. As someone who works on both sides of the tourism industry, as well as participating as a tourist, right? I see the destruction going on all around, which is why this episode was so necessary for me. People only think about the travelers without thinking about 10% of the world who is supported via the tourism industry. Those travelers are keeping 10% of the world alive right now. So when I see travel shamers think they're advocating for people's lives by telling them to stay indoors, you can imagine my frustration as they don't think about the hotel workers breaking on starvation because there's no one to go to work to. Those people are not thinking about those servicing tourists on the other side of travel. Those people who make our trips and experiences special, those people I think about every day who are not disposable to me. So yes, I get that everybody should be mitigating risks right now, but does travel shaming still feel productive? Who exactly are you advocating for? Or are you actually advocating against certain people? Moving forward, Please just reflect on your privilege of getting to stay home and think before criticizing people who contribute to local systems of the tourism economy. Be able to hold space in the nuance of staying home and what that means to different people's situations. While we're not encouraging travel, we're offering travel perspectives. We have no idea what the future holds. Transcripts are available on our website for the deaf and hard of hearing, and sources are linked out within the text. The host and producer of this podcast was me, Dr. Kiona. Executive producer is Loy Martinez, and this is an Ochenta podcast produced by Studio Ochenta. The sound editor on this is Luis Raul Lopez Levi. Art was done by Tiffany Zulun, and the music was done by Gabriel Damaso. So, for the love of travel, this season was done completely 
volunteer. And if you'd like to tip the creators and experts on the podcast, sponsor studio time or sponsor a mic, community donations are accepted at Venmo at How Not to Travel, PayPal, How Not to Travel Podcast at gmail.com, Patreon, How Not to Travel Podcast to join in the community discussions, and the full interviews are up now. If you can't support monetarily, no worries, just share. Share so we can get them download streams and we can get those Apple reviews. Those help us with funding. By the way, I only accept five stars. So thank you so much and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.